1: And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people.
2: Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Brett Baer.
1: As President Joe Biden nears the end of his first 100 days in office, a Fox News poll finds 54% majority approve of his job performance. While most respondents agree concerns about coronavirus are at a record low, there are still concerns about the administration's handling of the economy, border security, and immigration. This before the president, for the first time, addresses a joint session of Congress on Wednesday. With that, let's bring in our all-star panel this week, national editor of The Cook Political Report, Amy Walter, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, and co-founder of The Dispatch, Main Street columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Bill McGurn. Uh, Amy, let me start with you. The, you know, as you head to 100 days, uh, I think that President Biden, and we've said this numerous times, is acting differently than candidate Biden may have projected. Uh, but as you come to 100 days, what's your takeaway?
0: Yeah. Candidate Biden looking at pretty good numbers here. I mean, it, the average of all the different polls that have been out puts him right around 54% job approval rating, which as we know, is a, is a better place than certainly um, Donald Trump was sitting at this point in his presidency, but it's not as strong as, Previous presidents, and I think what we're learning, at least at this moment in time, or for at least for the last, let's say, eight years, that the the idea of a honeymoon, you know, where a first term president kind of gets the benefit of the doubt from the other side, at least for the first hundred days or three, you know, a little over three months, those days are gone. I I, I went back and I looked. You know, you think about the two thousand election. Remember how crazy that one seemed? (laughs) That we would never recover from. all of the the drama and drawn out, um, uh, you know, hanging chads, etc. From that election, and yet at this point in in his first ter- term, George W. Bush had a 62 percent job approval rating. So so getting even more support um, than Joe Biden is uh, at this point tells us that we have a something we've already known, but our partisanship is pretty well hardened. And um, being on the positive side of 50 percent is always a great place to be. But a president being able to hit those high marks like Obama or George W. Bush did uh, or Ronald Reagan did in their first few months in office, those seem uh, unapproachable in this era.
1: But as the president gets ready for this joint address, Tom, um, you have this pitch for an infrastructure plan uh, a spending plan, really, in two parts, maybe, uh, that it seems like this one is going to hit a bipartisan wall, um, that it's not going to be as easy as the first co- uh, COVID stimulus.
3: I think that's right. And the first COVID stimulus was no great shakes either. I mean, not a single Republican voted for it. Um, and they, you know, the Democrats had to use budget reconciliation to jam it through the Senate. So, um Look, yeah, so I think it's only going to get harder for him. Um and he is going to now you're seeing Joe Manchin and others saying, look, some of these things that he's talked about, you know, the idea of packing the court, um the idea of <clears throat> nuking the legislative filibuster, he doesn't want anything to do with that. And in fact, he's now saying, look, he wants this um he wants the infrastructure bill, the 2 trillion dollar bill to be broken up and and to be so he's sort of siding with republicans who proposed you know something significantly less 568 billion i think was their was their initial offer so we're about to see sort of where the rubber hits the road in terms of biden making good on his pledge to be bipartisan and to to actually sit down and negotiate and come up with something that will get some republicans um, on board and that's invariably going to cost him some support from you know the progressives on the left but but thus far um, he's he's been able to have his cake and eat it too in the sense that as amy mentioned his approval numbers you know particularly on the economy are very good uh, on his handle of the coronavirus are, are very good um and those were the two most important things i think that that he campaigned on meanwhile some of the other sort of more left-wing stuff that he's been pushing through executive orders and these other things have been sort of done under a little bit under the radar because because the focus has been um, mostly on those two issues so I think all that stuff's going to come to the head here in the next hundred days. And we'll see whether his numbers hold up or whether um, they actually, uh, you know, take a take a bit of a dive.
1: Bill, it's a much different administration than the last. Uh, we don't hear from the president every day. We don't hear his thoughts about what's happening in his mind on Twitter every hour. Uh, and in that case, he's managed to lead. um in a pretty partisan way policy wise but maybe not a partisan way in how he presents it
2: yeah i was going to say i thought you were going (laughs) to the campaign it's very similar in the campaign you know where he was basically at home in his basement and and i think wisely um kept out of the fray if he didn't need to be there and now he's, you know, he's hardly has he had just one press conference. He, I mean, he's not that available to the press and he's getting pretty softball questions. And if I were president, I'd continue to do exactly what he does so long as I'm not pressed on this. The the one caveat I would say, and also with his ratings is right now we're kind of in the dream phase where, you know, the the Corona vaccines are going well coronavirus vaccines are going well. Um, I mean, that is something he can take some credit for. And uh, there's not as much urgency. He's got the one COVID relief bill through. Um, He's got his plans for infrastructure and so forth. But right now they're kind of high in the sky. You know, there's not a lot of detail about how you're going to do this, you know, change pipeline workers into um, uh, those jobs, into good green union jobs. Middle class jobs. I mean, there's not a lot of specifics about that, and it hasn't worked out all that well before when people have tried it. So, I don't think the test is going to come until actually the policies start to be implemented and people see the costs.
1: Yeah. I mean, what does he need to say um, this week, and what what do you think he will say on this speech?
0: Well, I do think that as everybody has outlined, you know, the leaning into what he needs to say is leaning into the things that are working. Right. The number of vaccines, the economy coming back, people feeling more optimistic, you know, delivering on this hundred day vaccine um, pledge and and to to also talk about this need for bipartisanship. But as we know, Brett, this is this term bipartisanship has been sort of, um, shall we say, reimagined and. Um, for the, the, the Biden administration, that bipartisanship doesn't mean getting Republicans to sign on to your legislation. It means legislation that is broadly popular. And they can point to all kinds of polling out there showing that if you ask the question about even the new infrastructure bill, it's broadly popular. And it's just Republicans who say they don't like it. Uh, it's just Republicans in the, in the House and the Senate who say they don't like it. And so his pitch then is going to be directly to the American public, basically saying, look, you know what you like. We can deliver that for you. It may come in a different form. In other words, don't judge us on whether we get 60 votes to pass something. Judge us on how successful we are in making your lives better and getting the things you say you wanted accomplished. The other person he's going to have to be talking to them more so than Republicans, of course, are the couple of Democrats who will be potentially sitting there in front of him, like Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who has remained somewhat cool to the idea of doing a reconciliation and all Democratic um, uh, uh, support for having all Democratic support for a, an infrastructure bill. He'd like to see at least some Republicans come along for the ride. So making the case as much to some of his fellow Democrats as he is trying to make to quote-unquote reach across the aisle to Republicans.
1: Yeah, and Tom, it seems like while Manchin kind of went back on that in the first COVID stimulus, he seems pretty committed uh, to forcing some kind of bipartisan negotiation on infrastructure, even if it means dialing it back significantly.
3: Yeah, I think that's right, and again, he sort of talked the game uh on on the first COVID infrastructure bill, but then didn't didn't walk the walk, ended up voting for that, and now he's back. But he's he does seem to be more adamant, more forceful, um, sort of flexing his his muscles a little bit more and pushing back against those who, you know, uh are are trying to bully him into you know getting on the bandwagon for reconciliation and the like. So I, I think Manchin is gonna be. Um, again, if he if he stays good to the way that he's been talking, um, he's going to he's going to have a lot of say in how this all goes down.
1: Bill, what probably is not going to be a focus of the speech is the situation on the border. I'm sure it'll be mentioned. You're a speechwriter uh, of past. Um, how would you handle the crisis? That's not the crisis.
2: Well, there's, there's a lot of ways for speechwriters to um, address something you're definitely trying to not address. Um, so there's a lot of ways around. He might stick with generalities, but it's it's awkward because, you know, only a month or so ago, he sort of told us Kamala Harris was going to lead an effort. Then it was redefined. She's going to just focus on root causes. So in addition to not calling it a crisis or something, it's not clear who's in charge in what the policies are. So I, I think he's going to largely steer clear or talk about, um, uh, you know, we're going to have a humane policy at the border and work it out. Something very, very general. I I can't see him getting specific on that because it's not a winner for him. Um, And I, and it has the potential for being a big loser for him.
1: Yeah. Amy, there's, when you look at those polls, uh, it's pretty much on the positive side, except for immigration, which is upside yeah. down.
0: it's upside down. And he's, it's not only that, you know, he's obviously losing Republicans. Independents are very sour on it and even Democrats are pretty um, pessimistic about this. And so it's not clear if those are Democrats who feel like he should be doing more. Um, and uh, he's not going quick. He's not going quickly enough. Or if they are Democrats who say, oh, gosh, we just, we don't like what we're seeing in terms of what's happening on the border, but either way, this is certainly, you know, you don't have to look very deep into any of these polls to see that that is his biggest weakness right now.
1: But I mean, the Kamala Harris thing is really interesting. I mean, you know, the rollout and ha- having her be in charge, but then she says he wants her to do what he did and deal with the Northern triangle countries, but none of them, neither of them, I should say, have gone to the border to see the situation and the border patrol people are speaking out saying, why not? Um, It's kind of just messy.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's obviously there's not a a very good um, answer to have there. And I think, you know, if you are the vice president right now says, well, she's having a virtual meeting this week and may, may even be today with uh, the Guatemalan president trying to make this case that you know we need to really stop it at the source rather than just focusing on the border, and and look there is the sort of ebb and flow of immigration. We know that as the summer comes on, the immigration numbers are likely to drop with weather, etc. But um, this is. C- Clearly something that for the long haul, you know, for a president who said we really I, I, he introduced his immigration bill very, very early on. Uh, this is one of those things that seems to be um, sort of dropped off of his wish list and priority list. And the fact is, he's going all in now on the more tangible fung- and more tangible things, um, you know, like the stimulus checks, like infrastructure, like Things that are going to bring, you know, uh, discussion about jobs and asphalt and things like that, um, rather than uh, getting caught in what has almost always been a a sort of political um, tightrope walk on immigration.
1: Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this.
2: Precise, personal, powerful. is America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: There's also, Tom, this focus obviously on police reform and what can be possibly done uh, in the wake of the Chauvin trial and the guilty um, uh, verdict there. Uh, it did seem like the president was trying to say this is a moment. This is a hinge point. He's got his attorney general looking at a few uh, police departments already, Minneapolis, now Louisville. Um, but this is also a double-edged sword when it comes to politics and pushing the police. Um, I mean, explain how that plays politically. Well, can I can I just
3: go back to immigration for one yeah, second? Yeah. Because I, I, I do think it is. There is no no greater example of of the media's treatment of this issue and this administration versus a past administration. I mean, can you imagine we saw the outrage, kids in cages when when it was Trump and and the media? It would be a nonstop feeding frenzy every single day. Jen Psaki would be getting, you know, if she worked for Donald Trump, she'd be getting 50 questions at every briefing about what they were going to do about it, what an outrage it was. um, And the media has not done that. And and Democrats have largely been silent and been willing to overlook it or glide past it or whatever. I think, you know, police reform is another good example. I mean, you know, Tim Scott had a bill that and he offered them whatever they wanted, all the amendments they wanted. They could have had police reform last year, could have had it if they really wanted, but they did not want it. And they used the filibuster, (laughs) ironically enough. Uh, to to you know basically kill it uh, because they didn't want to give that kind of win to the Republican Party and to Trump during election year and and now they've come back with their own version uh, of police reform and so um, and now suggest that now it's an urgent need and, and has to be passed and Republicans are are the you know bad folks for for not you know jumping on board uh, for whatever they've proposed so I uh, look I do think it is. Um, it is a dicey issue politically. Um, I think by and large, the public agrees with the need for police reform. And I think there's some bipartisan buy-in to the need for police reform. What form that takes, I think the devil is really in the details there. Um, you know, Nobody wants to see the police using excessive force or deadly force when it's not called for. At the same time, people don't want to see the police... Uh, you know, so afraid to get out of their cars that they're not even policing and crime goes up and, and, you know, police forces around the country are being defunded. Um, That is a, that is a bad outcome for, for an awful lot of folks, including the folks who, who most need the, uh, you know, the protection from the police. And so it is a, it's a, it's a really complex issue and, and it does cut a bunch of different ways politically. Um, And I think the Democrats, I mean, they're, their biggest uh risk is is sort of overplaying their hand on this um and again it would be great to see something that you know if both parties could come together and agree on some some basic principles um to get something passed but it, it doesn't seem like that's where this is headed it seems like you know democrats are saying look th- you know it's it's my way or the highway um and unless and until that attitude changes i'm i'm not sure what'll get done
1: bill a majority of voters in our latest polls um are against, oppose, reducing funding for police departments, moving funds to other areas, about 64 62% uh, say that. And so, you know, these efforts in the wake of this trial take on a different political hue.
2: Yeah, and I'm not sure that's for the better, uh, the politics of it. Um, You know, I I have to say I am very skeptical about federal reform of police forces. Police are a local responsibility, local conditions. Um, I think the federal government can help around the edges like the FBI Academy best practices and so forth. But I think, you know, before we get to this, we have to have an honest conversation about crime about who's affected by crime and what you do is the problem that we're seeing for example is it just police are not well trained i mean is that the problem or might there be also might the public have some obligation in interactions with the police for example not to resist arrest And uh, I don't know what the balance is, but I'm just I'm skeptical that we're going to do it at the federal level and that we're going to do it if we can't have hard conversations about this. When I was editorial page out of the New York Post, I was a lot more involved in the kind of um, crime issues and on the street. And it was always extraordinary to me. Ray Kelly was the police chief then, and his polling numbers were always very high in the poorest, um, sometimes most violent areas because they're the ones that really need the police really suffer, you know. The people that live with the doorman in their house or in a good neighborhood um, out there, they're they're not as vulnerable to crime as the other people. And I don't I don't think we hear their voices. You know, in that case in Columbus where the officer shot the one teenage girl and saved the other one, uh, my understanding is the other one is called nine one one. People should listen to that tape. This is someone saying, "We need a police officer here now." They're, they're not like into defund the police or we don't need them. Um, you know, some of our most vulnerable people uh, are the ones who need the police most. And I, I think that's getting lost in um, kind of a fake conversation we're having where we're not talking about real crime figures and what we can do.
1: Yeah. And, you know, look at Minneapolis. They right. said defund the police and then suddenly crime shot up and they said, you know what, Police, Or look at um, Maxine Waters, who goes out there, a congresswoman from uh, California, goes out to protest and is saying they should be very controversial depending on what the verdict of the Chauvin trial is uh, and confrontational. Um, but she does that with police protection uh, to do it uh in that protest amy i guess i'm I'm getting at the point as we head towards 2022 and we're just starting to see some of these senate candidates tim ryan in ohio others uh kind of stake their mark and get ready to run uh the framework of that in regards to the hundred days uh starts to take on some some formation
0: Right. And what it is that these candidates are going to run on and how different it's going to look in different states and different congressional districts. I mean, to me, you know, one of the one of the things that we know we've been we've all been watching this for the last 10, 15 years is, you know, this continuing uh, sort of migration um, ge- geographically uh, where we have cities and now increasingly inner suburbs and encroaching and, and into the exurbs. Uh, of uh, more blue America and small town rural uh, America is red America, and that means something more than just you know division of density. It's also the priorities. And Pew came out with a poll, I think it was last week, where it asked you know what do you what do you think the top priorities for Congress for you know the federal government should be. And not surprisingly, Democrats and Republicans have very different ideas about what the top priorities should be. Democrats say gun violence, coronavirus, racism. Republicans say budget deficit, illegal immigration, and violent crime. So, you know, we often talk about, oh boy, if only, you know, our politicians could come together and find solutions to the problems. We can we can fix things if we agree on just, you know, compromising. This isn't about agreeing on on the solutions, we don't even agree on the same problems. And by a huge gap, I mean, Republicans think illegal immigration is a top issue uh, over Democrats by 43 points. Democrats think that about gun violence by 55 points. So this is the, the, the challenge. Now, in a place like Ohio, issues like guns and illegal immigration are going to play differently than in a state like Arizona or North Carolina or Texas. And so um, I think overall, look, if you're Democrats, this is what you're hoping. The economy continues to improve and that, um, you know, the, 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 the data, both in jobs, inflation, et cetera, that all stays in a good zone. And while it can't, you know, maybe protect every single incumbent, it does provide a good tailwind going into a midterm election. And that. As these individual issues pop up, how well Biden responds, or Democrats respond, become really important. But I think critically, you know, this for the first time now, we may be having a, not for the first time ever, but for the first time in a while. We're talking a lot more about policy than personality. Um, the Biden personality <laughs> is not overwhelming anybody. Um, this is not like at this point in 2020. Uh, Seventeen, when all we were talking about was Trump and and personality and personnel. So um, this this makes for a very different midterm election, or at least the kind of conversations that we are likely to be having come this time next year than we were, uh, you know, four years ago.
1: Right. And last thing, Tom, I mean, by history standards, with slim majorities for Democrats in control of the House and Senate, Republicans should, by history standards, uh, have a pretty good chance of taking over both chambers, even if they just paint by the numbers and play the playbook that Republicans usually play. Um, But to Amy's point, the economy and how the Biden administration deals with things will factor in greatly.
3: Totally agree. And, you know, this was one of the things that people were saying, including myself prior to the election, that it might might not have been a bad thing for Joe Biden if Republicans had held on to those seats in Georgia uh, because they need to have something to run against. Democrats would have something to run against. You know, the other thing is, obviously, along with the increased polarization and the sorting um these races are all nationalized. I mean they're mm-hmm. they are all nationalized. And so you've got house races and and we saw that dichotomy in in uh, 2018 where you had you know, Republicans lose a bunch of house seats but but pick up Senate seats, right? Because the red states that flex their their sort of Republican muscle in places like Missouri and North Dakota and and they were able to, to take advantage of the map, so I think you know we might see something like that again, uh, which was a bit of a historical anomaly. Um, but it's there's no question now, especially you look at these approval numbers. Re- Republicans are you know nine to twelve percent approve of what Biden's doing. It's about where Democrats were with Donald Trump when he was in office. Um, so I think independents are going to be key, but but this is going to be Republicans are going to run. The same playbook the Democrats ran in 2018, which is to make everything a national election. And if Joe Biden's name, if he's too warm and cuddly, um, it's Nancy Pelosi. It's Chuck Schumer. It's AOC. It's it's the squad. They have plenty of of names and faces and opportunities uh, to say, look, the Democrats have gone way to the left and Biden's just gotten run over by him. And that's why you need to vote for the you know, for the GOP in 2022.
1: We will watch it. Panel, thank you so much. Here's a bit of historical trivia for you. On April 27th, 1822, Ulysses S. Grant was born in Point Pleasant, Ohio. During the Civil War, General Grant demanded unconditional and immediate surrender from his enemy general and earned the nickname Unconditional Surrender Grant. Eventually, Grant would become the 18th president of the United States, serving to 1877. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Amy and Tom and Bill, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.